First, I just want to define placebo. 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 I would say that what we, again, could strive to do, just because it hasn't always been the way that it's happened in the past, we could try to learn from history and do it better and go in in a way that we are not dismissive of people. We, we still try not to stop on their culture and we find a better way. I don't know what that would look like, but we find a way in which we teach critical thinking and let them come to these conclusions themselves. Teach critical thinking, teach critical thinking, teach critical thinking, teach critical thinking and let them come to these conclusions themselves. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones. Okay, on three, we'll do five. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Glenn Ostland, and Infants on Thrones is ten years old. Now, some of you have been on this ride with me the entire time, and many of you haven't. Regardless, I always appreciate hearing from listeners who have changed over the years, as I've changed and this podcast has changed. We're all always growing from one thing into something else. And it's been an incredible ride. It's still going, of course. But I want to commemorate this 10-year birthday of Infants on Thrones by revisiting some of my favorite infant episodes from the past. And I'll tell you what all of this podcasting has done for me personally. It's made me very interested in mental, emotional, and yes, even spiritual health. This is why I'm in the process of becoming a licensed therapist. It's why I've been working as a life coach for the past few years. And it's why I keep making episodes for this podcast to rewire my own brain, to reshape my own confirmation biases, so that I can truly look for the good, so that I can truly put down the weapons that I use against myself, and so that I can intentionally focus on putting more peace understanding, acceptance, joy, and playfulness into this world as much as I can. Now, if you find this podcast valuable and you'd like to say thank you by donating a few dollars per month, please sign up to support the podcast on Patreon. You can find details on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you or someone you love is struggling with severe anxiety, fear, grief, shame, chronic anger, depression, or any mental, emotional, or even spiritual challenges, and you'd like some encouragement, support, and some tools that can help, please reach out to me at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. Let's talk. I am here for you, and it won't cost you a thing. And now, how about a blast from the past with one of my favorite infant episodes from days gone by? Here you go. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. Even by end, this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 819 reflections Placebo Part 3, 
And what you're going to hear today is a continuation of sorts of this initial placebo discussion from eight years ago. We recorded in 2014. Now, the first thing that you're going to hear today is a listener essay that was submitted by Matthew Vernon. And Matthew had a hard time wrapping his head around the kind of, well, I'm just going to call it respect. I'm just going to call it respect. <laughs> the kind of respect that Chelsea and other anthropologists provide, uh, you know, the respect that they give towards human culture in general. Uh, so, yeah, Matthew had an issue with that. And then we have a panel discussion between Matthew and Chelsea, along with Scott and Bob. And, you know, I've got to say, this one was hard for me to listen back to. And I remember at the time, I kind of wanted Chelsea to come in and help other people see things more the way that I saw things. So I had a little bit of an agenda in this, but I think what I ended up doing is putting Chelsea on the spot where she was getting hammered and hammered and hammered, and I think that was hard for her. So this one's hard to listen back to, but it did play a significant role in my own evolving understanding of myself and of others in general, specifically around something that Chelsea says about being right versus being effective. And while we never really stopped to explain it this way in our initial discussion, the reason why I think that it's important to privilege effectiveness over being right or over a sense of righteousness is because I know what it's like to be very certain that I'm right, only to find out later that I wasn't really as right as I thought that I was. Maybe I was only considering part of the issue and I was ignoring things that I just didn't know about. Maybe I was exaggerating what I thought that I knew. Or maybe I was just holding on to information that someone else had provided to me and I hadn't thoroughly considered this information through my own critical thinking skills. Whatever it was, I've learned over the years to put a huge asterisk next to any areas where I think that I'm right. Because I know that there's way more that I don't know than what I do know and that anything that I don't know could significantly change the way that I feel about any of the things that I do know. So, you know, I'd rather be open and exploring new things than close-minded and condemning what I don't like, but also what I don't really understand. So anyway, that's your episode today. And I do want to thank all of you listeners who've reached out to me to thank me for reissuing these episodes. And for those of you who asked what Chelsea's up to now, well, I will be interviewing Chelsea later this week, so you'll be hearing directly from her very soon. And you know what surprised me as I went back and I listened? I, I remembered very well these first few placebo episodes that we did with Chelsea, but I had forgotten how many other discussions that she was a significant part of. So all in all, Chelsea contributed to 16 episodes of Infants on Thrones. In those episodes, we talked about feminism, garments, death, uh, the King Follett discourse, an excellent interview with Margaret Toscano. We talked about the ERA, we talked about excommunication, a manual for creating atheists, the biology of connection, and then we had a mind-blowing episode called Dr. Science in the Wonderful World of Wu. <laughs> just, most of that just flew right over my head, but it was fascinating. So there's a lot of Chelsea material in the backlogs of Infants on Thrones. And since so many of you reached out to me this past week, I've decided to create a special Chelsea series that I'll be releasing on Patreon only 
over the next few weeks. So if you like Chelsea and you can't get enough of Chelsea and you want to hear more, and if you can afford at least $1 a month to help support this podcast, please sign up for Patreon. You can find the link on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And one more thing. Have you ever wished that you could get your tithing money back? I mean, wouldn't that be cool if you got your tithing money refunded? Now, what if I told you that there is a group currently who's actively trying to get their money back through a class action lawsuit, and they could use your help if you're interested in joining them? So if you are, let me ask you a few questions. One, did you contribute tithing money to the Mormon Church between 2009 and 2022? Two, did you believe at the time that you donated that your tithing money was being used for good? Not that it was being hoarded or that it wasn't being used for commercial purposes, such as the City Creek Mall or bailing out beneficial life. Three, if you had known that your tithing money was going to commercial purposes, such as the City Creek Mall or bailing out beneficial life, would you have still donated? In other words, do you feel like you were defrauded in any way? If those three criteria match you and you're interested in finding out more about this class action lawsuit, please reach out to me at infantsonthrones at gmail.com and I'll give you some more information. All right? And now... Yeah, hang on to your hats and glasses because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. If we are here not to do what you and I wanna do and go forever crazy with it, why the hell we are even here? Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and last month we published what was surprisingly a pretty polarizing two-part episode with Chelsea Shield Strayer, uh, talking about her research into the placebo effect. Now, a lot of people took issue with her cultural relativism, that she wouldn't just categorically declare that things like alternative medicine and supernatural witchcraft beliefs are bad. And one of those people was Matthew Vernon, who will be playing the role of Matt on today's episode, because he is. But anyway, Matt recorded an essay that we published as a standalone mini-sode to sort of tease what we're going to be doing here today. And as I sit here in early October and I look at our download stats for the last month, I see that Placebo Part 1 and Part 2 had a little over 5,000 downloads each. So a lot of you listened to that, but... Matt's essay, published a few weeks later as, and this was my title, not his, Cultural Relativism Can Bite Me, has just over 3,000 downloads. So, so I probably shouldn't assume that coming into this, all of you have heard what Matt has to say in his essay response to Chelsea. And since that forms the basis of a lot of today's discussion, I'm going to lead with it again. But that's not such a bad thing because Matt's essay was pretty kick-ass. So you'll first hear Matt's essay, and then you'll hear a discussion between Matt and Chelsea with myself, Bob, and Scott munching on popcorn and occasionally jeering from the sidelines. So that's our episode today. Let's get started with Matt's essay, and we'll take it. Hey, podcast listeners. Allow me to introduce myself. 
My name is Matthew Vernon, and I'm some guy that likes to listen to podcasts. Then sometimes I'll have a couple drinks and go rant about them on Facebook. One of my favorite podcasts is this one, Infants on Thrones. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating on... Oh, wait, sorry. I don't know why I started going off in that direction. Hi, this is Matthew Vernon, recording from Whitingham, Vermont, the birthplace of Brigham Young, a man of superb equipment. Where was I? Oh, right. One of my favorite podcasts, my favorite podcast is this one, Infants on Thrones. So after that last episode on the placebo effect with Chelsea Shield Strayer, I went to Facebook and did a little ranting and was invited by some of the quorum members to submit my response. See, I'm also a physician, and some of the points discussed were not totally congruent with the way I view medicine. So I was invited to express a little different perspective. I hope it's not too long. Now, I want to make it totally clear from the beginning that I thought this discussion was fascinating. And it's not my goal to turn this into a personal attack or a pedantic point-by-point listing of all the individual points I did and didn't agree with. There were several minor medical points I disagreed with. If you want to discuss gluten sensitivity, hey, we can talk about that. But that's not where I want this essay to go. Maybe instead of thinking of it as a response essay, we should call it a springboard into some issues that were not fully hashed out and coming from a different angle. First, a couple of disclaimers. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not even a primary practitioner. I'm a radiation oncologist. I shoot high-energy radiation at cancer patients in an attempt to cure their disease or to alleviate the symptoms it causes. So I certainly have not read all the primary literature on the placebo effect. I spend my time reading about cancer and dealing with patients undergoing a very emotionally and physically taxing course of diagnosis and treatment. Likewise, I'm not an anthropologist, so I can't really take issue with specific points made about anthropological studies or claims. Also, I recognize that Chelsea was responding to questions in real time, whereas I have the luxury of writing down my thoughts as deliberately as I like. And that's not totally fair. Finally, and most importantly, I want to make it clear I agreed with the overall sentiment of the episode as a whole, that placebo and nocebo effects are powerful, and carry pretty profound implications both in and out of medicine. Viewing our previous or ongoing Mormon experiences through this lens is especially interesting. Okay, enough of that. So maybe a good place to start is that question of whether I prescribe placebos. This is actually a harder question than it may seem on the surface. I only have my own experience and my observation of other providers, but I think that survey that suggested that half of doctors regularly prescribe placebos is maybe being spun a little bit. First of all, to my knowledge, I can't just write placebo on a prescription pad and send the patient off to the pharmacy. Closest I can do is prescribe an active drug, despite really failing to believe myself that the mechanism of action of the medication will reasonably provide some benefit directly. I think this is maybe what respondents to the survey were thinking when answering yes. I can't really say that this is all that common either, though, at least Personally, the closest I regularly come would be prescribing an active medication with only marginal or palliative efficacy to keep the patient busy while a disease runs its natural course. But I do it with a genuine desire to alleviate the patient's symptoms, and I actually often feel frustrated that this is the best I can do in the absence of a more effective treatment. So I don't really see any moral gray area here. Anyway, this misrepresentation wasn't what bothered me about the episode. 
Actually, as it turned out, it wasn't purely because of medical misrepresentations at all. As I sat down and re-listened to the interview, I quickly realized that one of the primary notions that was not sitting well with me was this idea that kept coming up of cultural moral relativity. As Chelsea pointed out, this seems to be something an anthropologist, at least, strives for in studying cultural populations. Maybe it's just me, but I find the concept as a workable way of viewing the world completely foreign, and I find I can't help but reject it. As a medical scientist, and as an ex-Mormon, I believe there is truth. No matter how you translate the characters on the papyrus, you can say they're talking about Abraham. And despite there obviously being value in a person's subjective experience and social worldview, it can be wrong. Witchcraft is bogus. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Again, I understood the suggestion that this is part of what makes people who they are, but that doesn't make it real. That word real came up a lot in the interview. Is it being disingenuous to the lived experience of the people you study to describe their pseudoscientific belief as such? I say no. I say it's critical thinking. Likewise, a CT scan is not Western bias. It's a tool that helps us remove some of the subjectivity of finding the real root of a person's problem. If anything, it has the potential for decreasing bias. Of course, it may not always find anything. And it won't tell us how the patient is feeling or how her personal experience influences the way she perceives pain. But it will show us her inflamed appendix, allowing us to stop searching for a diagnosis and get her to the operating room to get the real root of the problem fixed. This is not me being Western. It's me being logical. So, I reject the notion. Which Chelsea stated very plainly. That Westerners' disbelief in witchcraft is a problem. Problem. Like, that's some kind of fault on our part. And I reject it for two reasons. First of all, we do believe in witchcraft. I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. We just call it homeopathy, acupuncture, Reiki, chiropractic, not to mention religion. At their best, these things are harmless. Yes, they are beliefs in the supernatural in powers not rooted in good science, and they certainly provide symptomatic relief to patients through the placebo effect. We have Reiki practitioners who come to our cancer center. The patients seem to like it, and I'm happy having them meet their pseudoscientific, spiritualistic, placebo-driven needs right there where I can keep an eye on them and make sure if they do have a problem that warrants a more direct, physiologic, science-based intervention, they're not out getting roots and berries from a naturopath somewhere. Which brings me to reason number two. Disbelief in witchcraft is not a fault, because witchcraft can often be harmful, at least net negative. Again, this gets us into that fuzzy realm of moral relativism. What is more harmful, being beaten or being shunned by your community? But I think this is a false dichotomy. There are other options. How about pushing for social change? How about educating people about science? African witchcraft kills people. I cannot accept a moral approach that sees that as okay. It's just part of their culture. It is wrong. No relativism about it. I actually invite everybody to go listen to a recent episode of another podcast called Reasonable Doubts. An episode entitled Witch Hunt, released August 27, 2014, with guest Leo Igwe, an African activist for social change to eliminate witchcraft. Maybe we can get a link up on the website.
I invite you to listen to his stories of beheadings and ritual disembowelings of innocent people because human parts were required for superstitious remedies. Then tell me moral relativism is an okay way to view these issues. Maybe I'm just using an appeal to emotion here. Listen to the interview and judge for yourself. On a more introspective side note, I actually find it curious that I do feel much more strongly that this is an absolute universal truth, not subject to cultural relativism, now that I'm out of the church and have a purely atheistic, humanistic worldview. While in the church, I would have chalked it up to the subtle craftiness of men, a transgression, ignorant of God's will, but not a sin, because the missionaries hadn't gotten around to knocking on their hut yet. But I digress. Back to our Western witchcraft, our pseudoscientific woo. It is not based in fact. Despite providing measurable effects, I would generally not characterize it as real. It can be just as harmful as voodoo. Harm by commission, which I suppose we'd characterize as nocebo, but more frequently harm by omission. I wish I had the numbers to back it up. Actually, I would probably predict that studies would underestimate the numbers of patients causing themselves medical harm by substituting alternative treatments for what their medical doctor has recommended. Anecdotally, at least, I can relate that I see it frequently. And the notion that people don't turn to alternative healers until medical professionals have failed them in some way is not congruent with my experience. Yes, the American medical establishment has its problems. We are aware of them. And yes, these problems may have engendered distrust within our culture as a whole, but I lay a heavy burden of the blame on Dr. Oz and his ilk. Every time I see a patient with widespread incurable cancer that could have been treated with scientifically proven medical intervention, who instead took homeopathic remedies, it makes me furious. It is wrong. It is absolutely not relatively, immoral. And I think it should be criminal. Every homeopath who knowingly provides pseudoscientific remedies to a patient he knows is substituting their snake oil for proven medical treatment should be held responsible for that patient's death. Can you tell I feel strongly about this? Now, a little aside, just to be clear. I am not trying to say that these are points Chelsea made in her interview or that she holds these beliefs to these extremes. But these are the logical ends to some of those roads that she starts down. Listen again to the second half of part one. I think it is clear she believes there is a place in our medical landscape for alternative practitioners and witchcraft, though she backpedals a little bit when core members give pushback. My belief is that there is no place for them. They are alternative because they don't have a basis in science. Placebo factor, no, they should not be promoted. We've already established there is a placebo component within allopathic science-based medicine. This is the place for patients to reap the benefits of the placebo effect. This brings me to my last point. I have no idea how we fix this. It's easy for me or anyone to sit in the armchair and point out all the problems with society, but actually furthering social change is hard. The least I can do is try to promote critical thinking, share skeptical articles on Facebook, and educate my own patients. They don't usually listen when they've come in with a preconceived notion, but I do my best. It doesn't stop me from having the conversation. I still have to try. 
Anyway, how's that for a rant? I'm not even drunk. So, so have you been thinking about that? What do you want to say to Matthew Vernon? <laughs> Are you going to let him get away with that, Chelsea? Really? You're going to you're going to stand for that? You're just going to sit there and take that from a man? Hey, Glenn, have I ever let any of you get away with anything? Oh, I like that response. <laughs> yeah, really. Of Good course response. not. All right. There's nothing he can say that I won't be able to like back up with scientific findings. So we'll just go head to head. I'm really excited about this. Right on. Tasty. <laughs> Come in! So how are you doing, Chelsea? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just making sure. <laughs> I just hey, realized hello. this is uh, this is part five of the series. This is like Mormon stories here. Is it part right. five? <laughs> yeah, including the uh, it's four. the intro with uh, the essay and the uh, the Shakespeare in the bush. Oh, and, okay. And the minisode oh, okay. and everything. Yeah. yeah. If you count right. Shakespeare in the bush, I guess. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I yeah. forgot that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so did you have the same type of reaction, Matt, to uh, Shakespeare in the Bush with the the cultural relativism that was in, in that piece? Uh, you know, I don't recall having that same reaction. Um, maybe it, 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 I, I suppose to be completely honest, it wasn't the cultural relativism that that really got under my skin, kind of the same way as the as the pseudoscience and the alternative medicine and stuff is just kind of a pet peeve of mine. See, that, like, that's what I really don't understand from... And you're not the only one who's, who's responded like this. I don't know, Bob, if you felt like this too. But I didn't feel like there was like a promotion of pseudoscience right, or, right. or what was the other one that you said? Uh, or just like alternative medicine. yeah. It, it wasn't a big part of it. It it was it was a couple of minutes that you guys spent on it in the second half of part one. Yeah, Chelsea, what did did you? What's your response to that? That 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 you came across as uh, a proponent for? Or is that the right word? A supporter for alternative right. medicine and uh, uh, you know pseudoscience and that sort of thing. Right, which is it, like in my mind, that's not how I see myself or any of my work. So I was like, "Oh my gosh, no!" <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe so, like, this is going to be really short if if my whole essay was just a big straw man, and that's not really no, how you no, view no, the no, world. Because it's a complicated <laughs> issue, and we'll definitely like parse it apart. But I definitely wanted to, you know, come on and like the first thing I have written down is I definitely want to make a caveat, you know, that I'm not against biomedicine. I'm not pro-alternative medicine or, you know, neo-spiritualism or like the secret, right? So, so what actually drives me crazy, almost like you, Matt, is this idea that like, you know, I had a woman in my ward who was so into, um, like alternative medicine and anti-doctors and, you know, they wouldn't eat any refined sugar and they only would practice yoga as their only form of like, um, health. And she ended up having, you know, stage four, stomach cancer and she refused to see a doctor and you know she ended up dying you know quite rapid so when you were saying that part about when someone you know dies of a preventable disease you're furious and i i feel the same way you know so in that sense i definitely wanted to say you know in no way was i trying to um express that any of these things are necessarily better than medicine or that we should be espousing them i think rather um 
just as like an evolutionary and social scientist, not a clinical scientist, like we try to say that things are really complicated. It's not as simple as you're making it out to be. It's, it's a much bigger issue. It's There's a broader history here. Um, whereas a clinical scientist will try to say, you know, there's a cause and there's a correlate and there's a solution and there's a pathology and we can interrupt that pathology. And here's a meta, you know, a pharmacological agent that has this effect and it affects the body in this way. And, and they try to actually simplify the body. Um, whereas an evolutionary scientist or a social scientist or behavioral scientist, it's well, the body isn't a machine. It's not a car with parts that you can just take out and in and fix. It is a very complicated, it's almost like a, rather like a sponge, you know, it soaks in the environment in which it's around and it actually changes your uh, neural anatomy and it changes your epigenome and, and your environment radically alters the way in which you experience a medical uh, procedure. So we can't neglect those things as being, um, you know, influencers in how someone will respond to even an active pharmacological agent, right? So that's more of what I was trying to do was complicate the issue rather than, you know, propose that one thing or promote a certain thing. And I, I don't know that I made that clear. Right. Yeah. And I guess I guess I wouldn't say I felt like um, like you were pushing for everybody to go out and start getting acupuncture. It was just, <laughs> I, I guess, just the... The suggestion at all that um, that this should even be part of the medical landscape, that, that it could be an integrated therapy, as some people will say, I don't even really feel that way. I feel pretty strongly that if it was, if it had a scientific basis behind it, it wouldn't be alternative. It would be medicine. Right. And here's where I take a lot of issue with you. And so we could have a cool debate on that topic right there. <laughs> So I actually wrote down that line from your essay where you're like, if it, it wouldn't even be called alternative if it had a scientific basis. And that's just no offense. I try, I'm, I don't want to be like super critical, but in my mind, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of biomedical history. So the history of medicine and science and technology. So where biomedicine came from was not necessarily that it was the most scientific or that it actually was more evidence-based. In fact, the term evidence-based medicine is a newer phenomena. And if all medicine in biomedicine was based on evidence, you wouldn't need the term evidence-based medicine as if it's like D- a Differentiating thing that's it from happening. something else. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So the fundamental assumption that biomedicine or allopathic medicine is in and of itself a positivistic purely based on, you know, uh, random clinical trials, everything you do from the ritual to the procedures is all evidence-based is actually an inaccurate portrayal of the history of medicine. So the Flexner report about a hundred years ago decided that allopathic medicine was in fact the most, you know, the most likely to result in a positive treatment outcome. And so we should invest all of our money and, and training and what became, you know, a legislation and, um, legal precedent into this form of medicine. Okay, let, so that's me, when we begin to separate. Let me, let me pause you for a second there, Chelsea. You just said something really quickly. The, it started with an F the what? Sorry, the Flexner report. Flexner report. Yeah. Right. What, what, that's what is kind that? of, when you go back to the history of medicine, it's a book length study of, you know, medical education in the United States and Canada, uh, in Canada. Um, I think his name was, 
Abraham Flexner. It was written in 1910 or 11. And basically he got paid to go around and basically evaluate and do research on all the different types of medicine being practiced. Cause there was just so much happening. Like Matt said, right there, people were getting, giving, um, women tapeworm to lose weight. You know, people were, this is before we had a great FDA. This is before we had any kind of medical, um, regulation. So they're paying, um, Abraham Flexner to go around and kind of see which form of medicine who, is the best, who was which paying? has the best, who was paying him? Um, Oh, I don't know. I, I was, I will have to look that it, up. Was, it wasn't you know, the people that he endorsed. No, 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 no. It was like a federal funded. Okay. We need to figure. We need to figure out medicine. We need to figure out what works and what doesn't because people are dying. And and does that um, does that Flexner report still hold up today, a hundred years later, or is it? You know, what, what, are you just talking? The, the history more, of more the history. Okay. So to assume that things that are considered complementary, integrative, or alternative are not based in any scientific fact—that's just erroneous. It's you know what became and here and here's where I take issue with biomedicine. It has not nothing to do with the efficacy. It has to do with the fact that biomedicine, in and of itself, especially in the United States, has a whole history with finances, with government regulation. Um, with insurance companies, with HMOs, you name it, that kind of makes it into a system in and of itself where we're making decisions based on cost. We're making decisions based on what's allowed in our insurance. You know, we're making decisions other than what's evidently, you know, what's best for the human body. So a lot of what's happening post-1910 in United States medicine is not all based on like the positivistic science evidence-based clinical trial proven, um, most effective treatment. That's not what's happening. We're getting right, no. drug companies, yeah, we're getting drug companies pushing certain drugs to make money. We're getting, you know, HMOs pushing certain things. We're getting, you know, government regulation. We're getting, and I'm not saying that, you know, I have a really big soft spot for doctors and medical malpractice. And I'm not trying to say that it's a system that's all negative. I just, I'm trying to say it's a very complicated system that in and of itself represents its own culture. And to assume that that is science, pure and unadulterated is just wrong. Well, okay. So I I agree with almost everything you just said. Um, We're aware of that. We we make no no claims, at least I don't, about everything that I do being science-based. I guess I'm I'm talking more about the ideology, what we want our medicine to be than what it is. There is plenty in medicine that's, you know, like the 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 mom cutting off the end of the roast beef because that's what her mom did because it didn't fit in the pan. We do that all the time just because that's how we were trained and it's the best we know. Um, so I didn't mean to suggest that, that we're doing things perfectly. I also have plenty of problems with the way that it's practiced in America with it all being funded by, by the drug companies and what they find lucrative enough to, to develop and research. Um, just the, the very conflicts of interest that so many practitioners have where we're paid for services and so treating patients more results in more payment to our practice. I don't think it should be that way. There's plenty about that. Um, What I'm saying is things that have been tested and really don't show any benefit beyond the placebo effect, those are the things I would call alternative treatments and and I don't really... I, I can't even say that there's absolutely no place. I don't think it's unethical to offer these treatments in addition to things that have been studied or the best, whatever we'd consider the standard of care at the time. 
like the Reiki example I gave in the essay. That doesn't bother me that those patients are getting this treatment, even though it's complete placebo. Um, it's when patients, it's when Dr. Oz, uh, you know, makes these claims about something working. He uses fear mongering. He uses misinformation to convince people that something is doing something that it demonstrably does not do. That gets under my skin. Can I also add, uh, it, it feels like Chelsea, what you just explained is kind of, a. A perfect is the enemy of good kind of argument, and and I'm trying. I'm having a hard time connecting, you know, the flaws of of the good, which is Western medicine, which is not perfect, but is still pretty good, notwithstanding its variance based on geography and, and governmental institution. I'm trying to connect that to what it says about alternative medicine. What help me get from A to B? Like, why is that important to point out all the flaws of what's pretty good to show how something that's not as good can also be considered pretty good. Right. For me, what it comes down to is we are judging um, these alternative or indigenous practices based on the criteria of what works and what is effective in biomedicine. Um, and in so doing, we're neglecting a lot of the things that are efficacious that just don't kind of fit within that paradigm. And, and Matt even brought some of this up. So, you know, he talked about palliative care, which is just, you don't necessarily treat the actual cause of the disease, but you're curing a lot of the symptoms. So you make a patient feel better. You make them feel more hopeful. You give them a meaning for their illness. They, they go home and they have a sense of hope. Um, they feel social support, et cetera. I could go on for hours, but that's not actually curing the actual disease. And what, what a biomedical medical perspective would say is that it's, you know, not effective. But what an alternative practitioner would say is it's quite effective. It's actually highly effective in the patient's well-being. So, you know, I'm not trying to bring up the flaws of biomedicine to say that, like, it's not as good as these other things. I'm trying to bring up these, the history and the cultural specificity of biomedicine so that we can start looking at it as if it is in and of itself like a paradigm. And so, so is alternative practitioners and so is Reiki and so is, you know, witchcraft. They are a paradigm through which, you know, things work and there's a precedent and there's a reason why people believe it and there's a reason why it is efficacious. And, and it creates this whole system by which things are um, evaluated and criteria set up. So, so that if I'm attending a witch doctor, I'm not necessarily going there for cancer. I'm not going there for a broken arm. I'm going there because, you know, they're able to solve problems in my community in a way that a biomedical doctor can't. And those problems are causing me health issues. So, but, but you my know, patient, in and of my patient is going to the witch doctor for her cancer. She's getting a recommendation that she needs a very, very mild form of chemotherapy uh, as an adjuvant to the surgery she just had. And she decides instead to go see the homeopath. And she, she might do it for all of these same reasons. But when her cancer comes back and I see her in the emergency room because she's bleeding to death, um, that that's what makes me furious. So that's a real pain. Right. Okay, I, I, I want to explore that a little bit further, Matt, because I, I don't I, I don't really know who these homeopaths are that your patients are going to. Could you talk about them a little bit? Describe. Uh, I mean, before like are, are these go, go ahead, Scott. 
Oh, I was just going to say before we go there, I think to Chelsea's point about palliative care that I think there are probably plenty of doctors that would take that approach in the right circumstance that they're going to say, I think maybe in oncology, for example, that if, you know, if they have a patient that's just terminal and there's nothing else they can do, then I think, you know, there's lots of doctors out there who will take the approach that, okay, we're just going to make you as comfortable as possible, even though they oh, I, realize do all, that, I do that all the time. Twenty percent of my patients at any given time on treatment are are purely because they've got they've got something painful in a bone that hurts, and I'm irradiating the bone. They've got symptoms from brain metastases. I'm irradiating the brain. It's not a curative treatment. That's not the goal. We get that. We want to not just extend their life. We want to maximize their quality of life. Right. We understand what the side effects and risks are. If we think that those are going to be too toxic, we don't offer that. Or we, or we educate them and, and give them the chance to provide a, a more informed decision. So what I'm saying is biomedicine isn't great at extending the quality of life. And that these other forms of healing and medicine might be better at that type of, you know, what's effective. You know, I, disagree. I totally disagree with that. That's okay. that's an important in, uh, outcome in most of the studies that we're doing now is um, in addition to reporting the clinical outcomes, we report the toxicity. We don't re- report just extended life years. We report quality adjusted life years because we get that. Um, I'm not going to offer a treatment to a patient that might extend his life by two months, but he's going to spend that entire two months in agony and, and throwing up. We get that. So I, I, I disagree with the statement that biomed does, biomedicine doesn't increase or improve patients' quality of life. But, but are, okay. are, are you saying by comparison, because here's what I took away from what you said in the placebo episodes was that our bodies have evolved in certain ways to respond to certain things and that the the way that the bodies respond in an alternative explanation, and I understand that's a really broad category, but that sometimes in some cases that's more effective than prescribing an active treatment. And so are you saying right now that it's more effective to the quality of life and that's what you're disagreeing with, Matt? So, so what I'm trying to communicate is if we judge alternative um, medicine based on the criteria of therapeutic efficacy of biomedicine, it will always fail. But often, if we judge subjective outcomes, is the patient pleased? Are they happy? Do they like their healthcare practitioner? Do they feel better after treatment? Alternative medicine has really high rates, and oftentimes, you know, I have a bunch of articles to show, they, they can be higher subjective rates of well-being than sometimes medical practice. Now, why I want to bring that up is not to – I actually want us to get away from this comparison between the two because I think that um, we're all constantly going to be going back and forth, and what it comes down to, in my mind, is the difference between like a one-off – uh, pathology of a uh, you know cause and and cure and like a more complicated thing. So so biomedicine won't always be as effective in really complex cases where there's you know a lot of psychological, mental, social, environmental um, triggers and problems that are taking place. So like with fibromyalgia, biomedicine doesn't know how to treat that very well, chronic pain. We don't necessarily know how to do these things. And it doesn't mean that biomedicine is failing. It just means that the actual source is not as clear as a, you know, 
biological trigger. And so what Greg, uh, sorry, what, um, Glenn was getting us at is kind of this evolutionary background. And that's why I love to approach medicine from this evolutionary background, because we can start to look at how our bodies evolved, what has the greatest significance, and we can start to like judge both alternative medicine and biomedicine from the same criterion, which is how did our bodies evolve and what isn't currently interacting with these medical systems that, you know, in the Pleistocene, we weren't doing allopathic medicine, right? And nor were we doing homeopathic. So how does our Stone Age body interact with a modern world and these modern medical systems. And I think what's fascinating when we get into that, and in some ways, biomedicine is far amazing. It, it, it's incredible. And in some ways, like let's say the antibiotics drug, arms race, that's actually the most illogical thing you could possibly do is put broad spectrum antibiotics in someone's body or, or continue to all, all, you know artificially um, naturally, sorry, artificially select for greater and stronger and drug resistant bugs. It's very illogical. Well, so wait, from- wait, well, hold on, hold on a second. How is it illogical if it's saving uh, untold <laughs> right, there's tens a of, we gave them the millions of people's lives? I mean, broad spectrum, you know, a drug like an antibiotic is saving people's lives every single day. So how is that not logical? Matt, do you, you know this one? Yeah. Oh, the answer to that is we need to figure out when the right tre- when when we're giving the right treatment for the right condition. I absolutely agree oh, that no, we don't no, need to no. give everybody with a sinus infection or bronchitis a broad spectrum antibiotic because usually I, that's going to run its course on its own. But there's a reason why Western me- why why the leading causes of death in Western countries is not communicable diseases. It's heart disease and right. cancer and obesity. Right. Unlike the third world. Right, so I'm not. I mean, I'm a. I'm not. Even, I'm not a doctor or, or anything, but I understand that that overprescribing or or even uh, you know oh, having it's a problem. Th- this many, yeah. There's problems. There's reasons why there's a- antibiotic resistant staph infections and things like that that, right. that do kill people. But but when you say, I, I take a, so, so let me when you say it's, that it's illogical because it's like, well, our saves. life expectancy was 20 years in the place. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. Well, let me explain why it's illogical. Okay. So there's a couple reasons. I don't know if you guys want to get into super into this topic, but I can go at it as long as you want. So there's about three reasons why it's very illogical. The first one is broad spectrum gets rid of a lot of the healthy bacteria that we need in our body. In fact, you know, half of our genome is actually viruses and bugs. It's not even like coded information. So your body rely it absolutely relies on so many bacteria to function properly in fact they're they're attributing a lot of autoimmune disease to the fact that we're getting rid of all of these healthy bacteria those so the new way of dealing with that in biomedicine is to create narrow spectrum antibiotics not broad spectrum antibiotics so just the way that we're approaching it is very quote unquote and i hate using this word but i don't know a better one at the moment the way we, we have dealt with bacterias in regard to antibiotics is very primitive. Let's just get rid of them all, right? And it actually has major health consequences. The second reason why it's illogical is what we're doing is we're actually creating deadly bugs. We Instead of, because we understand the process of evolution, we understand how to kind of um, make a bacteria less virulent 
let, so we could actually artificially select bacteria, everything from a protozoa and malaria all the way over to MRSA, and we could artificially select it to be less virulent. But because we are treating it the way we are, we're making it more virulent. We're making it, you know, deathly. Yes, and we could yes, change that ev- process. But for every patient who dies from a drug-resistant bug, we saved dozens more by right, killing but I'm off saying all you the could sensitive save bugs. that same patient in a more effective and logical way by doing a oh, narrow oh, spectrum. Oh, sure, we should, more, we should keep right. still working on on newer and better drugs. Antibiotic resistance is going to happen no matter what, no matter what type of antibiotics we use. But there's a way like to behaviorally isolate. There's a way to artificially select for a less virulent bacteria that will no longer kill a patient that's not pharmacologically rooted. The problem is in Western biomedicine, the solution to most of our problems is with a chemical you know, allopathic treatment. So in malaria, let's say, if you isolate it, the reason why malaria, and I've had it five times, so I'm an expert in this topic. The reason why malaria is so deadly is it just knocks you out. It makes you super lethargic. You lie around. And guess what? The reason the pathogen does that is because if you're lying around, you can't hit all the mosquitoes that come to bite you, and then they carry more malaria to everyone around you. We could, instead of creating quinine and the 15 other types of, um, really terrible for your body antibiotics that kill malaria that save lives. No offense. I mean, I I totally agree with you that they save lives instead of doing that. And then it becomes drug resistant in a year or two. And then you have to create an even stronger one. If you isolated people who got infected with malaria and they were not able to pass on the pathogen within a year to 10 years, you would actually create a less virulent form of the protozoa, which would then not be killing people. Okay. Malaria is probably the most complicated example you could have picked. Malaria's got a, a an immensely complicated life cycle, um, and, and so the targets are are very difficult. The um, I guess I guess to just kind of stay, take a step back, uh, what I would say is is Western medicine. It's not even that it's the best we've got. It is the best we've got, but that's not why I'd propose that that that's the paradigm we follow so much as it's the model that we've got that uses incremental changes based on evidence. It's, it's, it's fraught with things that we do that are not evidence-based. This is true. But every time we think of something that might be better, we put it through a trial, it may be 5 or 10% better. Usually the miracle drugs don't happen. But if it's 5 or 10% better, we use that as the next gold standard. We take it to the next trial. This is why modern medicine is as effective as it is, by baby steps, incremental changes based on science. And, and Chelsea, I went back and listened to our, our uh, interview with you that we did before. And, um, it, you know, I, I think that sometimes it just sounds like you just use language that's just a little too, uh, too strong. And maybe that's what's kind of setting, <clears throat> setting me off. Is that like when you say that it's illogical? I think that what you really mean is that maybe it's not it's not optimal, or that we could do better, or that you know with technology there's more effective ways to be treating it, or something like that. But I I don't know. It just seems really um, kind of unnecessary to say that it's illogical to use broad spectrum antibiotics. Or that a CT scan is a Western bias. That really yeah, got like, to go. That's that's yeah, not a that Western bias. First of all, crazy. they use they use CT scans in India and and Japan as well. Of course, it's a it's a tool that we have in a toolbox. 
how we use the tool may be biased. Okay, here's an even better example for radiation therapy. In, in rectal cancer um, in Sweden, they give five big treatments and go straight to surgery. And that's based on studies. In the United States, we give a combination of chemo and 28 really little radiation treatments, and then they go to surgery. So that's an example of, yes, there is bias. It's cultural. It's based on regional things, and, and it's very complicated. But the radiation is just a tool. The radiation is impartial. We know how it works. It's, it's, it's a way that we can attack this thing, and it's based on science. So I would say the things that are based on science, to call them a bias is... is it's not the word I would I would use. So would it be fair to right. say that? So let that me there's... answer both of those because we're going to get ahead of ourselves and I'm not going to be able to get back to both of those. So let's start with the CT scan. So the reason why I said the CT scan was a Western bias is the way that we structure medical technology and medical devices is to to find the things that we find as an objective truth, right? That, okay, like you, the example you gave, we found appendicitis. Therefore, we can now treat this woman and save her life. Absolutely. I don't have a problem with that. But the CT scan, the, the discovery of an objective truth of a biological um, disease orientation in the body does not work for every problem. You cannot do necessarily a CT scan to discover, you know, a depression, eating no, disorders. No, of course not. A lot, so let me finish. So part of the problem is, is that we have created a system where the only diseases that are legitimate are those that we can find objective proof toward. And that's why I say biomedicine struggles with things like, you know, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, mental illness, because we can't find a necessarily an objective, uh, x-ray provable, you know, internal bodily cause. And that's very hard for us to deal with those types of ailments. And because biomedicine is structured around these objective realities. And that's why it, you know, when we get to these other forms of medicine, it gets problematic. We're great at infectious disease. We're great at these things that we can find these one-to-one -one cause ratios and, and, and problem solving. So that's kind of how I would answer the first one. Not necessarily that the CT scan in and of itself is not effective. I, know, I don't think I ever said that it was ineffective, but it's a it's a tool for the system that we created. And, and I think a it CT was scan, I think it was bound to the context of the conversation right. we were having about the the witch doctor pulling the millipede from the fourteen year old right. girl's body. And, right. And you it, and in that context, it exposes a Western bias or or something. But yeah, go ahead. Right. Yeah, could I a still, CT scan like show term. witchcraft? A CT scan couldn't show witchcraft. Does that mean that witchcraft doesn't exist? No. So, so the reality in the Western, in a Western bias, if that's what we're going to call it, is that nothing. It, it's not legitimate. It's invalid. It doesn't exist if it can't be seen in a CT scan. And I'm disagreeing with that. I'm saying that's a Western bias. I'm disagreeing I, with I that too. I was never saying. Yeah, I wasn't ever saying that you. If it doesn't exist in, in a CT scan, then it doesn't exist. I was saying that if you can see the millipede, uh, you know, being palmed and then um, faked like it's being pulled out of the stomach of a person, then in that case, the CT scan would be useful towards showing what the objective truth of the situation was. And, and that's, that was the context in which you said that it was 
a right? Western de- de- depression bias. is real. Fibromyalgia is real. Sure. These things are not are not things that we have good tests for. But you know what? We didn't used to have good tests for for bacterial infections until Pasteur came along and and figured out how to sh- you know how how germ theory works. So we're making advances. Same thing with treatment. You're absolutely right. We don't have good treatments for fibromyalgia. But we have marginally effective treatments, so we start there. We do a trial. We, we study the mechanisms of it, come up with a plausible thing that might work a little bit better. This is how it works. And it may take hundreds of years, but eventually we will understand fibromyalgia. We will have a good test for depression. We don't right now. Science will get us there. Right. Sure. So can I – I have a question. I, I, I see – Maybe I'm going to completely oversimplify this, but I see that there's kind of this Venn diagram of, let's just call it medicine and alternate medicine, and, and let's just make up a number that there's like 70% overlap where the alternate medicine people or the witch doctors are like, fine, go use Western medicine in, in this overlap use case. And then the Western medicine people are like, fine, go use witch doctor stuff or whatever you want to call it for, you know, as long as it's kind of benign by our standards or whatever, it, it, it doesn't do harm in, in this use case. So I, I feel like we're kind of arguing indirectly, talking past each other, the relativism of the 30% fringe cases on either side of like, okay, overuse of antibiotics and, and, you know, using everything's a nail if all you have is a hammer on the Western medicine side. And then the, the like, you know, we can we can go all day talking about the craziness of uh, the extreme cases of of witch doctors, and so to me, it's just a question of finding that happy medium. Uh, and again, maybe I'm I'm looking at this, you know, trying to find some sort of middle ground. But I feel like when, by the very nature that you can't really get a we- you can't really get a witch doctor on a on a podcast to to talk like this, it sort of speaks volumes to the fact that. Western medicine has a little bit of an edge because it's willing to kind of admit things, whereas witch doctors sort of like you pe- you peek behind the curtain and it like they don't want to talk about that part of their of their strategy. So that's why I sort of favor Western medicine, but I'm not completely eliminating whatever these witch doctor ish type things are when they can help but not be harmful. Is that a fair model to use, or am I missing the point? No, I think that's true. It it's a weird example, but it it makes me think of. That uh, that debate that was on, I think CNN with Bill Nye and, and Ken Ham, and <laughs> right. and all along, you know, Ken Ham is arguing for creationism, and and he's got his mind made up, and he's starting with his conclusion, and and trying to work back to evidence that may support his his foregone conclusion, and this is what most alternative practitioners do as well. Whereas Bill Nye gets up there and says, you know what? Show me the evidence. If you've got evidence that that will change my mind, great. That's science. If we knew everything, we would stop. So right. I, I, that that sets up a question that I have. Uh, from, Wait, from, can I from, just finish one thing, Glenn? Because no, I know you're no, going to get us on a totally uh-uh. different topic. No, oh, okay. no. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so the one thing I wanted to bring up is I don't think Bob's wrong, and I and I don't. You know, I think we're all kind of agreeing that there's, you know we wouldn't necessarily go to an alternative practitioner for a broken arm. There are different types of Venn diagrams of what's effective. I think where I'm coming in is I'm trying to get us to take a step back from our paradigm and just kind of understand how it was created. And that is in and of itself, you know, a a self-confirming type of thing, not to say that science, the scientific method is incorrect or that it doesn't arrive at new knowledge or that it's not useful, but that, we are claiming 
you know, certain things that, you know, might not be that accurate. And let's get back to Scott's example with antibiotics. And I'll just give one example of that. So the normal parasitic load of an African, you know, and this is very general, um, but a parasitic load means how much, you know, parasites do you have existing in your body that you're still like, you know, on a normal basis on an average, on an average day, you know, and how are, how did our bodies kind of, and our immune systems evolve? What was the parasitic load? It's about 40 to 60%. That's a very high parasitic load. The average American parasitic load today in the modern world is 0.05. So what that, what the results of that, the fact that we have these enormously robust immune systems that were evolved over generation and generation and generation to fight off these parasites and these worms and these bacteria now have nothing to fight off. This is actually the root cause of a lot of autoimmune diseases, allergies, bacteria infections, um, you know, asthma. This is actually, you know, where we're getting so many deathly peanut allergies and where we're getting Crohn's and where we're getting all of these things. Um, people are starting to treat these types of things with worms, with bacteria, with, 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 with parasites so that your immune system has something to fight off. Now that doesn't oh, mean that, that biomedicine there's, is there's, wrong. There's, there's a, there's a poop Absolutely. transplant. They actually Absolutely. give patients stool that, uh, that, yeah. that recolonizes the gut. That's true. Absolutely. And so what I'm saying with that is not necessarily that biomedicine is wrong. What I'm saying is it, taking a but step that is back. medicine. That we we do that because we did a study that told us that it's that it's scientifically feasible. So I, right. I think we're saying so the I'm same saying thing. What I'm saying is That's understanding science. the body has evolved for you know hundreds of thousands of years and what where the immune system came from and all of this stuff and where the brain develop, developed and where the body developed is essential to understanding the adaptive mechanisms that cultures have been employing for hundreds of thousands of years. So something like religion is something that has been adaptive for a long, long time. And we can't write it off as a net negative because it actually had, you know, was an adaptive mechanism for treating a lot of this stuff. And that's how our brains and bodies evolve. So we can't say biomedicine has all the answers. It actually doesn't treat the evolved body in certain ways, for example, with things like autoimmune, until recently has it just began to recolonize the body. This is a, like within the last five years type of science that's happening. I, I think we agree. I, I think you're right, Scott. We, we agree on most of this. I think maybe the root of our differences is that you're, you're talking a lot about history and a lot about evolution, and, and you're an anthropologist, and you're studying people, and you think that's interesting. Um, I am a, a clinician, and my job is to deal with the patient sitting in front of me. And, I, and this, this ties into the cultural relativism thing, where I, I get that. I get why, as an anthropologist, you're, you're trying not to intervene. You're trying to be a fly on the wall and study the culture without your presence altering what those people are doing and how they behave. My job is to intervene, though. I've got a patient sitting in front of me, and I have to say, you know what? I get it. My treatment is not perfect. I never claimed it was. What's the best thing I can do for this person sitting in, in my chair? Okay. I, I, want, I want to take my turn now. Okay. So, so uh, <laughs> I, I, because you made a claim, Matthew, in, in your essay that uh, we do have witchcraft in our Western culture. It's religion. It's these other things. And that, that is a, uh, what, what did you say? It's neutral at best. Right, I, I mean, would, would, was that rhetoric, or that's that's how you feel that 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 is? 
<sighs> the, the effects of that are neutral at best. Because I, I want to tie that back to what you said about Bill Nye and show me the evidence. And if, if you've got evidence, then I'll accept it. And right. I, I'm, I'm taking this on faith, but I think that Chelsea has evidence to show that witchcraft, religion, you know, whether we're talking about our culture, we're talking about another culture, is, is better than neutral at best. The, the, the effect of it. So uh, that's that's maybe half of the equation. I mean, maybe, maybe religion in general is a pretty big topic to bite off. I personally, my experience in Mormonism, at least, was that Mormonism is net negative. I don't know if all religion is net negative. Um, but absolutely, there are parts of it that you can say are favorable. I, I, I do think part of it was rhetoric. After thinking about this a little bit more, um, maybe the the difference between African witchcraft and what I called Western witchcraft is that African witchcraft is is a deep-seated part of, of their worldview, whereas homeopathy really isn't. Uh, religion certainly is, but, you know, naturopathy and acupuncture, yeah, it's not the same thing. That's not something that, that's, that's – maybe that does reflect a person's magical thinking, but it's not as deeply ingrained, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it could. I and I, I think where I where I kind of wanted to go with this is, I I want to hear what some of the evidence is. And I wasn't thinking about the religion being a net negative or a net positive. I mean, we can talk about that if we want to. But I, but I, I was thinking more of a, a placebo effect. You know, saying something like, uh, you know, the, the claims about witchcraft doing all the harm that it does. Uh, you know, definitely. But if, if there is evidence that this is uh, a positive in people's lives, is, is there a way to get above that you know, claim that it's neutral at best? But, but I think we would define good evidence and, and net positive in different ways. Again, I'm a humanist and, and I'm a pragmatist, and so my definition of net positive, net negative is, is, this, is this helping to liber- uh, liberate human beings or is it increasing their suffering and death and... and uh, oppression. Um, whereas, oh, absolutely, sure, there's placebo-style benefit uh, that, that I'm sure Chelsea could cite. Um, so, so we may have to, I guess, sort of define what we mean by net positive before we even try to bite that off. Well, and, and not only that, I feel like there's a, a huge distinction between what's going on in the U.S. versus a lot of Chelsea's experience, especially in the context of, of her cultural anthropology and her expertise, feels very rooted in Africa. And I kind of want to double-click on that because, Chelsea, one thing you mentioned in, in those other two episodes was, you know, all the stuff you learned in Africa and, and you, your expertise there is really fascinating. But then on the flip side, you'll just you'll be like, oh, but I get it in my ward. People are pushing weird stuff, and I'm not drinking the noni juice. That's crazy. And I'm like, well, <laughs> what's the difference? What, right. Why do you have to go to Africa to, to understand this new alternative way of viewing how humanity can function when, when it's, we dismiss it when it's in our backyard and you know, across the street? So I'm, I know I'm, I'm overdoing my you know, little example there, but I'm just curious to hear your feedback on that. Well, Bob, I think you're absolutely misquoting me there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Correct here's me. why, because I've, I've also, also spoken quite often um, on podcasts and in articles and interviews about how my 
understanding of cultural relativism and kind of finally accepting witchcraft and, and, and not being super biased and not thinking it was dumb. And that, that was really hard for me. And that, that whole thing has actually allowed me a level of respect toward my own people and my own belief system and my own, you know, parents that I didn't have before that I don't see in a lot of ex Mormons where, where once they kind of see, you know, the wizard behind the, the, um, curtain, Oh, Mormonism stupid. These people are idiots, right? We, we get a lot of, um, you know, quite, um, not, what's the word? It's not derogatory, but it's, it's somewhat dismissive of their religious experience. And I've actually said the opposite. I may personally not believe in a literal interpretation of the Book of Mormon or, or in what most Mormons believe. And they might think my understanding of what's happening is actually quite erroneous. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a literal believer, but I would say I absolutely understand the experience and validate that these people are having these legitimate experience that they, they are finding, you know, they're saying a prayer and they're feeling a certain way and that gives them proof and it's trial and error. Albeit we might not see that as based in what we consider real or reason or, or correctness. They, they are still experiencing these valid experiences. And for me to be dismissive of that is enormously disrespectful and dismissive. So no, no, well, I, I disagree only I, I so much think, that I don't that think I, we think they're idiots or maybe okay. I should only speak for myself, but I, I right. think, I think ex Mormons understand better than anybody exactly why those people believe the way that they believe because we were there and we did too. Um, so I, I don't know that I'd say that most ex Mormons are dismissive or, or think that believers are idiots. But I, well, think, I think what we could do here, and, and you said, Matthew, we would need to define evidence or we would need to define. I, I think it goes back to the discussion earlier about what is quality of life. And, you know, Chelsea said a few things um, that, that it's the, the subjective experience of the of the patient or, or their, you know, how they feel about it. Do, do, do they oh, feel content? Do, yeah. You know, regardless of what is actually going on with, with toxicology and you, and you could measure. So if can, can you make that same application on the side of religion? You can say priesthood blessings are, are bogus. These people think that they're doing this stuff, but it's. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of dismissive a- attitudes among ex-Mormons where where I think we don't care that they feel better for doing these things that are stupid. Wait, 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 wait right? a second, though. Uh, now, it's, now it's my turn to cry foul and, and be mischaracterized. Good, good, because good. <laughs> here's the thing. I think Mormons are at a really interesting intersection of, of religion and medicine because most of the time— They'll give the priesthood blessing in the operating room, in the operating room, or they'll do the prayer and the and the temple stuff at the same time that the doctor's operating, or, or whatever. What I'm talking about is the melaleucas and the noni juices, which is which is the fact that Mormons and religious people in general, but I, I should only speak for Mormons, are more susceptible to this false promise of of curing things that are not curable by putting oils on your on on your feet or whatever. So. It's totally fine. I, I can respect the, the blessings and the prayers as long as Mormons are still taking people to the hospital when shit happens <laughs> that requires somebody to go to the hospital. So I'm, I'm not trying to invalidate that by association, but I'm just curious in those cases where Mormons start falling prey to these other alternative options, 
Um, let, let, me, let me turn that back to the example that Chelsea gave earlier of the woman with the stomach cancer. Okay. okay. Because here you had someone, Chelsea, that you knew, and you, know, you had your own personal feelings of judgment as, as to you know, the, the choices that she was making. Would you, like, if she was happy and she felt uh, comfortable that she was doing the right thing, in ignoring the, the the cancer treatments, and she ends up dying, and uh, you know, is that I, I don't know is, is the question is that acceptable? Is that um, a, a, an example of uh, her? I, I I don't know how to say it. Do, do you understand I what I'm say, saying without I, saying? The question I the question I would tack onto that is it moral for okay. her doctor or the people around her or her spouse or. Or people like that to or, or, or just just I, just be to I, to be okay with it to treat it in the way that Chelsea's suggesting that we should treat African witch doctors. Why why don't we? I think what Bob's question is is really why don't we treat those around us here well, in the not, U.S. But, the same way? But let's not say a doctor. Let's say her bishop, you know, or or pri- sure. priesthood leaders or any anybody that is encouraging her to pray and uh, you know ha- have that personal connection with with God and He'll take care of you and wh- whatever it was that was. Uh, informing well, her decisions saying, on that. Not just pray. You're saying to not take the, not trust Western medicine or what, whatever her, right. her her reasons were for that. I, 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 I'm not on tonight, but you're gonna yeah. you're gonna make fun of me for this, but it's a really good question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and really here's why: question. as I think this gets us to Matt main concern and what I think we really want to spend time on, which is this continuum of cultural relativism versus, you know, unilateral human rights that they shouldn't, these are immoral if you don't follow. And is there, where's the line and how do we deal with that? Isn't it immoral or unethical for me to stand by and let someone kill themselves because they have a wacky idea? But isn't it also like, super ethnocentric for me to come in and be like, you're an idiot. Let me take care of you. I know better. Right. So it's this problematic situation. And and I think that this example gets us at where I want to go, which is that it is complicated. It, it's not an answer of I'm a cultural relativism relativist in all cases at all times. For me, what it comes down to is, um, that if I invalidate her experience, if I don't understand alternative medicine, if I think that she's just an idiot and then I have an opinion, my opinion has zero weight on her. If I validate that she's had bad experiences with biomedicine that are legitimate, that she finds as evidence that she doesn't want to do this thing, that if I legitimate, I understand where you're coming from. And I, then I have the ability to say, you know what? In this case, I don't think it's working. I think you should try something else. And my words actually have some weight. And let me give you a cool example. I don't know if you guys will think it as cool as I think. Are are you saying this because you've gained her trust? And not only that, because I understand where she's coming from. If you go to your very conservative parents and you're like, Mormonism's bullshit. You all are being brainwashed. Here's what I think. How much weight do you think your opinion will ever hold toward your parents? You've just completely – and not, I'm saying you in the general you, none of you on the panel. But right. what you've done, what, I've, what I see people doing is completely invalidate what these people hold as so dear without understanding why they hold it so dear. And so you now have no foot – in the game. You have no chance of actually discussing this at a level that either of you will understand each other. I, I, um, I, I, I think, think it goes talking, with trust, though. 
They, they, don't, they don't trust where you're coming from. They, so they won't listen to you. Well, you don't, and you also have basically shown them that you think you don't that they're trust delusional. Them. Sure, sure, right. sure. Right. And, but, and so why I'm bringing this up is just let's get back to the cultural relativism thing is so early in like 14th century um, in Africa. And again, I'm sorry, go back to that example. Um, we begin to see tons of Western missionaries going over to Africa. And guess what they're saying? Exactly what we're saying today. They're like, witchcraft is stupid. It doesn't exist don't do that follow our religion and they got a lot of converts but guess what people were doing behind the scenes syncretism they're all all going to witch doctors because they're like well these christian missionaries don't believe it even exists so how can they protect me from it we have all this evidence of saying how can these people help us with this major problem in our lives if they don't if they think it's stupid if it doesn't even exist so we begin to see over the next you know centuries is you know, these missionaries changing their tactic. They begin to say things like, well, witchcraft does exist, but it's the power of Satan and Jesus Christ can combat the power of Satan. And oh my goodness, we see a total change in activity rates. We see a change in the way that people approach the actual efficacy of um, Western religions, because all of a sudden we validated that this thing that actually affects your life is not, you know, we don't think it's stupid. It's actually real, and now we can have an effect. And this is, this is when they tell them to do unspeakable things to toast. Yeah, this is, they're making things up again. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But it worked, Dan. <laughs> stretching the truth again, and you know... And I don't think it's all conscious, like I'm saying. But what, what this gets us at with, with, I think, where Matt and I will really want to delve into is this idea of real and true versus effective. So, so we can talk at length about, like, if you want to change a culture, if you want to change a pattern, there's there's a way to be effective. You can be right or you can be effective. But you often can't go into some place and say, you guys are all wrong. You're a bunch of idiots. It's a net negative. And here's the way you should do things. You've completely lost your ability to change anything. And, and I think one, one thing that's important about what you're saying, and maybe you're using strong language again, Chelsea, but the, <laughs> it's not the people that are coming in and saying you are idiots. But it's the people that are on the receiving end that are feeling dismissed, that are feeling like they're being judged as idiots. So e- e- even if I don't say it, that's what they're feeling. And th- th- there's a, a reality to that that I've got to accept, that I'm making them feel like, like I think that they're an idiot. Right? Right. Right, uh, right, right. We're, we're jumping around a lot and talking about a lot of different things at once. But this, that's is, what we this do, is what I meant. Matt. That's what we do. <laughs> this is what I meant in, in my last paragraph, that I, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know the best way to do this. I, I recognize, and, and I say this in, in the essay too, when I try to convince people, yeah, it doesn't usually work, but I think it's right. I would rather be right than effective. And this is where Chelsea and I are differing. I would rather, obviously, not be dismissive and, and try to convince people that they're wrong, but I think that by handing them the tools, teaching them critical thinking, tre- teaching them skepticism, we wouldn't have to tell them they're, they're idiots or, or even, you know, legislate away the homeopaths and the acupuncturists. They would just go away on their own because nobody would be coming to them anymore. Matt, right. Matt if, if you would rather be right than effective, why do you allow Reiki to come in? That's a good question, uh, because I also have to pick my battles. If somebody asks me about it, though, I, I tell them exactly what I think about it. And like I said, I think that, I think that the, the, the moral problem with it is greatly alleviated when, when you're comparing adding a placebo to a proven treatment 
versus using a placebo as an alternative to a proven treatment. And this is how placebo studies are done. I'm sure Chelsea can tell us all about this. Giving people a placebo when we know that there's something better is is an unethical study. We don't right. do that. It's illegal. Mm-hmm. Right. What we do instead is give them, for example, one of these studies that I found as, as I was reviewing some of the literature for this, give post-operative patients a, a saline drip and tell them, you know, there's a, there's a powerful painkiller in here. It's dripping in all the time. But if it's not enough, you can ask the nurse for painkillers and she'll come and give them a real painkiller. So that's an acceptable way to study placebo. You, you can still see how much of the real painkiller they're using. You can compare the two groups. That's, that's an ethical study. So I, I, I don't have a big problem with the Reiki for that reason, because we're, we're not substituting a placebo for uh, a, uh, an it's, effective It's supplemental. But, but, right. but, but my point in that was that I, I think in that case, you do recognize that there's an efficacy in, in the placebo effect with Reiki, and, and you're willing... To, oh, there is efficacy in the placebo right. effect, yes. And, and yeah. so you're willing to suspend the need to be right in that case, uh, that, 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 that Reiki isn't really solving the problem or you know, whatever. You, you're not, you're not going to try and change their belief in this because you, you, want them, you, you want them to experience the efficacy of that experience. Unless they ask me about it, in which case I'll tell them what I think. So Matt, I have a question for you. Uh-huh. Because here's where I find your argument somewhat tautological, which is this idea that if people were all critical thinkers, then alternative medicine would just dissolve into the ether, would just go away. Because people would be able to judge for themselves, find evidence, they would understand that it's just illogical. In a perfect but here's, world, yes. But if it, in a perfect world. But here's where it's deeply flawed, and this is where I began a lot of my studies, which is about 20 years ago, everyone thought that biomedicine is at its peak. What we're going to start to see, and we saw all, you know, from the WHO to tons of scholars and medical practitioners say what we're going to begin to see over the next, you know, 50 years is the radical decrease of use in alternative practitioners. As people have access to biomedicine, they will stop going to these things. The opposite is, in fact, true. We see an increase, and not only in the global south, we see an increase in America, and we see an increase in Europe. So my question for you is, it's a kind of a tautological argument, because I could say the same thing. I could say, if it doesn't work, why are we seeing an increase of usage across cultures? I've got a reason for that, but I'll let Matt answer it, since you asked him. Well, I'm not sure I know the answer. I think I think I wouldn't go as far to say is it, that it doesn't work. It works as well as placebo. Acupuncture works as well as sham acupuncture. That study's been done. Um, so it does work. And it, and you are right in the in the notion that it may be meeting needs that that doctors are not good at meeting. It's meeting the needs of some of their more. Um, it their, their expectations, the way that they're perceiving pain. Um, it's it's making them feel more empowered. They're doing something extra. They're not just talking to the doctor, but and, and doing what the doctor recommended. They're going out of their way to get more treatment, so they have expectations that their outcome will be better because they're doing more. Those would be the reasons that I would suspect. Yeah. So I would I would throw in that um, people can be rational, and and large groups of people can certainly be rational, but. That doesn't mean that people are rational as oh, sure. as inherent beings, and so there's there you know you would expect that uh, when there's 
photographs and, and video and, and telescopes and that sort of thing, nobody could possibly believe that we didn't actually go to the moon because we can shoot a laser at the moon and bounce it off the retro reflector that we left there and pick the signal back up and time the distance and everything. I mean, there's, there's so much, there's all these conspiracy theories that people believe in, um, so and there's the, evolutionary reasons for that too. The, absolutely. The guy, that, so the guy so that jumped at the grass rustling was less likely to get bitten by a snake. So we're paranoid. We're hardwired to be paranoid as well. Exactly. We're we're hard, hardwired to be paranoid. We're hardwired to not all believe the same things, and we are not hardwired to be, you know, individually analyzing peer-reviewed data to try to find out the best um, decisions to make in our life because that's really not how we. Oh, I've got, I've got my biases, too. I'm not saying that, that I'm immune to this yeah. or that this is the way that I always behave. It's the way that I'm striving to behave. I think it's the, it's the goal that we should set for ourselves. Well, I, I have another theory, and, and I'm going to go all Chelsea on you guys and throw Western medicine under the bus. But um, here, just kidding, Chelsea. I, that's, that, that was uncalled for. But <laughs> I'm shaking my middle finger at you. <laughs> here's the thing. I think Western medicine has a huge problem because um, I've experienced this personally for myself and for my wife, um, in terms of not having, not being personalized very well. Um, yes. Western medicine is all about, okay, we've done a study for, you know, a decade or more or whatever. And in the aggregate, this is the right approach to the, the average human being, which nobody is, but everybody is because that's the only way that something can get through a system of regulatory. And that's, and that's the best we've had for a long time, but we're getting better. Um, yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're getting better. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying when I go to a doctor, he, he doesn't know the chemical makeup of my body in a unique way. And we don't have a good way of, of uh, addressing that. Um, and, and doctors, sometimes the better doctors sort of fake it. And, and when I say fake it, I'm, I'm being kind of silly, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is they, they try to make you feel comfortable that, you know, they're going to do the best they can to understand who you are in a very limited 20 minute slot time frame, so that the generic thing that they prescribe to everybody who seems to be similar to you makes you more comfortable than, than, you know, otherwise you might be because you're just sort of, you know, th going through the assembly line of, of Western medicine. So, so I see that as, as, a problem area, and I wish that we had a better answer than the aggregate form of treatment, one size fits all, you know, um, qu quick summation of the problem so that we can fit more people into the room as doctors right. have to pump more people through the system type thing. I think there are huge issues there, but to your point, Matt, I mean, it is the best we have, but I can see why it's and easy. And we don't always have time to be. Yeah, yeah, but it's easy I mean, yeah. for for people to be exploited on the other side because a witch doctor isn't going to limit his time with you to 20 minutes or whatever the insurance allows you to, 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 to do for that person in that circumstance with that situation. They're very more, they're very like custom tailored to your circumstances, which speaks to this, you know, plasticity or whatever that the concept was that Chelsea brought up before, where witch doctors have a lot more freedom to take advantage of that. And doctors haven't figured out how to, because they, right. they can't based on the system they're in. Right. Right. Uh, and that's for me, the whole point is just this little thing that is our, our bodies evolved not to process cognitive information that makes logical sense. Our bodies evolved to process social information that kept us in the group and, and didn't get us rejected. 
So but we're anything- still evolving. We're we're moving beyond our biology in a lot of ways. So I, I again I would I would push back and say that doesn't mean Tell we me. shouldn't try. Let's talk about that. I'm so sorry? what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? You're talking about like that our brains and bodies have evolved in the last hundred years since biomedicine? I would highly disagree with that. No, no, no. I'm 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 saying that the way the way that we are evolving now predominantly is in an intellectual way more the, more so than a biological way okay we're not dying from infectious diseases like we used to not because we like you know penicillium mold can create our own antibiotics we discovered it we used our brains and figured that out that's how we're evolving now is in cognitive ways predominantly you're talking about like a cultural zeitgeist you're talking about technical kind of technical evolution and culture evolution yes um, but it's hey, still a Stone Age body. It's still a Stone Age brain. And so oh, what sure. I'm saying is your Stone Age body still responds to social information in a different way than it responds to cognitive information. That's I why agree. humans, by and large, are quite irrational beings. And to have an understanding of human nature rooted in rationality is so far from the truth. Because we I, make I, super I irrational that. decisions on a daily basis because we have been made to to respond to social triggers at such a higher rate. So all I'm saying with that is the understanding that certain medical systems or religious systems or judicial systems or familial kinship systems are better at exploiting that those social triggers than more modern cognitive based systems. And I, I wish and all I'm that saying all true. I'm saying is I don't like my Stone Age body. I, yeah. I want to fight against it. I want to do better. So, <laughs> yeah. And so, that's uh, just a personality uh, thing on my part. And Chelsea, I've got a question for you on this, okay? Um, this ties in, I think, to all the topics that we've been talking about. But th- in the news lately, there's been a number of these, you know, what they call uncontacted tribes or, un- uh, you know, uncontacted groups in, in, I think they're mostly in South America, if I'm if I understood it correctly. Um, but there's a kind seems to kind of be a debate in terms of whether or not we should be interacting with them. And some of the governments have taken, um, taken steps to, to protect them from outside influence. But then there's been some recent, what I understand is that there's been some recent contact from the groups to outsiders to try to get help for like medical problems. Like there's people in their group that are sick. And so they're going outside their group when they, have been traditionally very isolated. So I wanted to know what your thoughts were on that from a cultural relativist perspective. Because for me, I mean, I, I put myself in the shoes of one of those tribes that has been uncontacted. And I would, with my upbringing and my bias, which is the only thing I can speak from, I would want someone to come in and educate me and teach and show me about medicine and, and show me how the world would, you know, would actually work. I, if there were, if there were someone in another country right now that knew more than I would want, that knew more than I did, I would hope they would share that knowledge with our country. Um, but on the other hand, I can completely see it to where that could be destructive to their way of life, where that could be potentially introducing a whole host of problems that they've never dealt with before. So <laughs> the as gods an answer, must be crazy. Yeah, exactly. The gods must be crazy. So I, I kind of I wonder what your perspective is on that because I think we're at an interesting time in history when we're probably within a generation, I would imagine, from those groups no longer existing. Well, I think it's a good question, but part of me wants to say, "Damn it, I still haven't got my point across." If 
if if this question's being asked, so then I, I don't know how to explain it better. So one of the reasons, I'm not surprised at all by this. I don't think it, um, I think that every culture I've ever worked in in my life has approached science and knowledge and education and biomedicine, you know, in a way that, you know, takes it in and analyzes it and uses it when they can and not uses it when they can. So I would anticipate that a tribe like this, which uncontacted, uncontacted tribes are really um, problematic in, in anthropological literature because really is anyone purely uncontacted? There's no, you know. So anyway, that's a contested kind of argument. But um, one of the reasons why I'm kind of like, damn it, I'm still not communicating appropriately is these people absolutely, if there's an infectious disease that they can't cure with, you know, indigenous um, ethnobotany, absolutely they want that. Who wouldn't want that? But they might go to a to a New York City and, and we have really fascinating case studies of this and be like, wait, so you all move to a job away from your family to get money to pay for things and then you never see your family, you have no help with your children and this is the lifestyle you choose and you put old people in homes and like they would see our culture in so many other ways as super backward nothing that they want to participate in, you know, things that they find absolutely immoral um, that we just are like, yeah, that's the way you do things. Right. So like, like Pandora. Right. Right. So are right. you saying so it's I, kind of a, it, it, it's a package deal. Like there's no way to get medicine to people without it kind of influence or I mean, oh, no, I, no, 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 that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say it makes up everything he's saying makes absolute, absolute sense. Okay. Of course, someone would want better medicine. Of course, someone would want a, a pill, or 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 a, a uh, you know um, some type of you know medicine that would help cure this thing. Of course, people would want that. But they, but you know that doesn't mean that they w- would be like, oh, Westerners, they have all the answers. I'm going to go do everything that they say because they would look at our culture and be like, wow, you guys are super fucked up in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. No, and I totally and I totally get that. And I and I, I wanted to make that point from the from the beginning that I think they would that it could it could cause other problems but I guess I'm just looking at it from the perspective of like you know if they have um uh, higher rates of of death from infectious diseases if they have if they have really low um life expectancy if they have a high infant mortality rate where do we balance that in your view against you know literally go the, just go going directive. in yeah, going in there and setting up right. Going in there and setting up like a medical clinic and saying, "Hey, anytime somebody's sick, like, uh, yeah, go see your your witch doctor. You know, whatever whatever you're going to do, but make sure you bring them by here too." Like, I mean, why morally, why aren't we doing that? I don't mean we in the sense of like us, <laughs> me, or anybody, but like, why are the governments it, where these uncontacted tribes well- are? That's what I mean by the. That's why I kind of have have problem with the uncontacted tribe. I mean, if you study public health, if you study medical anthropology, I mean, there's very few populations that don't have access to biomedicine. Now, some have to travel further than others. It depends on the country in which you are in. But this idea that like there are entire populations that have no awareness of or access to biomedicine is is not super common. Well, no, I'm um, not saying it's super common. I'm saying maybe there's literally a handful of, of people or groups on the entire planet that are like this. But, uh, I mean, there's like – I don't know if you've seen these pictures of, you know, 
uh, it's like, I mean, it's people like with spears, and you're talking about Stone Age bodies. I mean, people that are that have no kind of. I saw I saw those or, pictures, and they did weird things with their genitalia. <laughs> you, well, you, the way that they were like tied up and tucked under that little rope that they tied around them. Th- that's what you saw, right? The the yeah. tribe that, that came out of the Amazon. Uh-huh. But Scott, I think what you're talking Somebody about. Somebody should is, go in and teach them how to really, I, you know. <laughs> Really tie their junk up. Yeah, or, I mean, well, come you, on. You, you joke about yeah, it. Yeah, but, but they, they would think all of you are crazy because you right. cut off the end of your junk. So okay. they'd be I like, you people them. are insane. Yeah. 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 And I, this is where, isn't this, isn't this just a discussion of the fine line between trying to help your neighbor versus cultural imperialism and, and we're trying to learn from our past and it's you know it's hindsight is twenty twenty. but every other time in the history of man where we go into an untouched space to you know quote unquote help them out it's usually with all sorts of excess baggage and and shit that ends up hurting them in the long run and i think that modern society maybe scott i i don't, I don't know i can't speak for this exact example but I, I could imagine if i were in a government you know uh like just a hands-off approach would be the safest bet even if maybe there is a way to just you know touch this population ever so lightly so that you help them medically but don't repeat the history of all of the weirdness that happens with with modernity clashing with the yeah, prehistoric I, world i mean i think there's a pretty big difference though in terms of what we would do now versus like cortez showing up in yeah i hope so you know i mean like it's not going to be but like, even like a hundred years ago it's still pretty bad what we've done I, oh I, I completely agree i completely agree but i think i just feel like now that like we're we are almost um evolved in the sense that matt meant like like our culture has now gotten to the point where I feel like we could handle going into those types of groups groups few though they may be and and make um, you know more or cause more benefit than harm. But, but we can't so. we can't even do that in the U.S. Right. though, right? Right. You know, I, and, I disagree. <laughs> and, and you know, Scott, you you, you said something. What do you mean? When, what, do you mean? what are you saying? I'll, I'll, what, do you, what do you mean we can't do it in the U.S.? Here, here, I'll explain. So, so you you said when you brought up this example about the the Amazon tribe that if if you were in their position, and maybe this comes from your own bias, but if you were in their position, you would want someone to come in to teach you how things actually are, and. I, I I think I, one of the things I think that I hear as as a struggle in things that that you said and maybe things that Matt said in his essay is that there's yeah there there might be things how they actual are there there actually are people who turn to magical thinking uh, you know b- belief in magical actually does have an effect in their lives there are actual reasons why these people do this but you don't think that it should be that way so there's like this ideal that you would prefer that they went to and and there's kind of a dismissal of what's actually happening and why it's actually happening and and the effect that it actually has so what what i mean when i say that we can't even do that in the u.s is that you you've already identified the dr oz's and the homeopathy and the things that you would rather we we not do in our western society but uh, like how much education can 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 we give and in progress can we make uh and how other do you places? force people okay. to yeah, change how, their how do you beliefs? force people to do that and- well no 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 okay so let me so let me respond to your first point so so your first point about uh you know it being i want people to accept it a certain way what what i want is is for for okay so for me it comes down to morality so my definition of morality 
is pretty much along the same, same lines as Sam Harris, the well-being of conscious creatures. If we're promoting the well-being of conscious creatures or are we diminishing the well-being of conscious creatures? And, so and, we you, are, and you would say that that's not a relative morality. You'd say that's an absolute morality. Yes. Okay. I would say it's extremely difficult to measure, but I think that we could say if a tribe has a lifespan of 20 years and they have a you know 30% chance of violent death and there's you know, no access to modern medicine or, or hygiene or, or any kind of medical care in terms of childbirth or anything like that. That, to me, it seems immoral in 2014 to not just go and deliver that to people and do it in the best way that we possibly can. Right. Can I, and can I, I and, one and thing after well, that? One more, well, yeah, hang on. So, so to your Dr. Oz analogy, that is completely different because – those you know people who are choosing Dr. Oz, they have a huge a huge range of options to choose from. Um, in the United States, we have a education system that isn't ideal, but we have you know we at least try to educate people about what their options are. I mean, we're we're trying to do that, and if if people you know people are still free to make their own choices, but that's not the same as as a, a group out in the forest that we're going to intentionally ignore and let them die. And, and, and you've said in the best way possible. And I think that that's where there's some room to explore. What, what is, what is the best way and, possible to, and that's what I'm trying to case. ask Chelsea is, yeah. that's what I'm trying to ask Chelsea is, is as an anthropologist, may, I mean, I don't know, this is a question for an anthropo- anthropologist. Is there a best way to do it? Is there a way to do that? That's non-destructive Is there a way that we can, you know, to, to make that or, or why don't we, maybe there's some reason I'm not, thinking about so go ahead chelsea (laughs) so for me the the part that i take issue with is this idea that like oh man these people have you know bad maternal health rates or infant mortality rates we need to go in there we have the system down and this is maybe where we keep maybe i'm using too strong of language or maybe where we keep uh repeating the same process but we have really bad infant mortality rates and maternal health rates. I mean, our levels are at those of Zambia. It's incredible. It's easy. It, I would, well, maybe yes, Zambia is no, yes. really good, but if you no, can no, compare it to... we're 40th of all the countries, so I would be better off giving birth in 40 other countries in the United States of America. So, in, well, I'm not in saying a lot the United of, States is the best, but you're comparing, you're comparing no, the United no. States. You're comparing the United States to... To Sweden to, and Germany and England yeah, and... Or 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 to a place that has absolutely no um, access to any kind of medicine. When you say our mortality, infant mortality rates are really bad. I take issue with that. I mean, would you would you rather go back five hundred years or or go out into the you know into the woods with with people that had no kind of um, education in the sense that we mean it um, to. No, no access to pharmaceuticals, no access to anything, any kind of hygienic tools or anything like that. I mean, you're comparing our modern infant mortality rate and saying that's really bad, but it's historic. Wouldn't you agree that historically that's much better than it's than it's ever been historically? It, it, It depends on what history you're talking about. There are periods through biomedicine where women's, you know, birthing practices were way worse. Than, than midwives, untrained midwives. I mean, there was times when we chloroformed women, tied them to a bed, and ripped a child out of their body, where doctors would go down, um, 
operate on cadavers, come back up having not washed their hands and put them into a woman's uterus. So, okay, so, so yeah, are you let's asserting talk about that the history. So are you asserting that there's some uncontacted tribe in the world right now or or, or, or any kind of, um, you know, what – what I would say in a very, you know, the word, probably a terrible word to use, but primitive group that has a better infant mortality rate than the United States in, on average. I don't know. I'd have to find out the statistics. What I'm trying well, to so get is that. Isn't that, that an if, important question well, to, to know? It that. is isn't an that important, important question, but I'm saying I don't have that knowledge, so I can't give you that. But what I'm trying that, to get you to think of is you keep saying things like, shouldn't we morally go in there and help them? Who's to say that what you're doing is better? And this is where I take issue is by a lot of measurable statistics, we are not doing it the best. So what I'm saying is why is it Norway coming into America and saying, guys, we got this figured out. Let's take over <laughs> your system because people are dying and you're immoral not to trust us. Well, well, I'm not saying they should take over our system. But, hey, if a group of Norwegians wants to show up and show us how to do medicine better – they have. They've it. showed us how. That's what we should do. <laughs> Great. I'm. I'm all for it. That's fine. That's. That's. Yeah, this, I, it's exactly what I said when I asked the question. Actually, this wasn't the question. The, the The question wasn't. You know, is, is this this specific example better? Let's say, for the sake of argument, that our infant mortality is zero and theirs just really sucks. Okay, just for the sake of argument, because it's a it's a thought experiment. If that were true, would it be our moral obligation to go in and not force them to change? But at least say to them, hey, we've noticed that you guys suck at this, and we'd like to show you another way that you might consider trying. I would argue that it's our moral obligation to at least try to educate them, and they can take it or leave it. Right. I think that that'd be a great way to say that. Um, in the past, we don't traditionally see neoliberalism, colonialism, imperialism. We haven't in the past seen culture show up and say, hey— we got this new way of doing things. If you want to do it, cool. If you don't, that's cool. But we think ours is better. Like that is not the way we typically see this happening. So what we see sometimes is an imposition of Western values that people will then have worse problems because they refuse to even go to the hospital at all, right? Instead of what they traditionally were doing, which is going to like a local practitioner. So I'm not saying that what you, what you're offering is not good that, that we show up and say hey we have these things well let's all learn from each other let's do it the right way it's just that this is not typically the way that westerners approach helping another culture so chelsea does, does that make it immoral that that it's not typically and historically the way that we do it uh, because i think what they're asking is do we have the absolute moral obligation to try and yeah and, or, and or I, to, to Go ahead. To put this another way, this is this is a question I actually wanted to ask you, Chelsea. I get I get what you're saying, uh, and I I agree that this is why anthropologists probably should have a, a culturally relativistic attitude, so that we don't go in there and stomp all over their culture and and destroy things. But what I'm what what I would ask is. When you take off your anthropologist hat, and we just talk about our global citizenship hat, do you still feel the same way? Do you still feel like cultural relativism is what best serves your worldview and, and leads to useful decisions for world health? Um, yes, and this is where we get back at, is, am I right or am I affected? And here's why is because I under I've seen I've witnessed enough humanitarian aid on the ground in the countries where it's supposed to be helpful and it's not effective. 
And it's not effective because it's done in the way of I'm right. You should know I'm right. And, you know, take it or leave it. And I don't, it's not effective. And so for me, the most effective routes of change are people from the inside learning, you know, so I don't have a problem with education and outreach. I have a problem with like imposition and or dismissiveness of the local system. So I have no problem with educating women about giving birth in hospitals with biomedical doctors. I don't really have a problem with that. And as insiders start to do that, and as they see their infant mortality rates increase, we'll begin to see the adoption of these practices at higher rates. So that I don't have a problem with. It's just that in the past, I've seen that it's very ineffective to go into a situation saying, I am right. Absolutely. What you're doing is a net negative. It's, it's illogical. It's not going to work. And the person that does that is ineffective. And I'd rather be effective than right. Yeah, I, so I, you're, agree, with, I agree with that 100%. <coughs> so you're a Bono critic. <laughs> and what, what I would say is that the first thing you described is, is a bad example of doing it right. I would say that what we, again, could strive to do, just because it hasn't always been the way that it's happened in the past, we could try to learn from history and do it better and go in in a way that we are not dismissive of people. We, we still try not to stop on their culture and we find a better way. I don't know what that would look like, but we find a way in which we teach critical thinking and let them come to these conclusions themselves. So I think what the issue is, though, is that, Matt, what, what you're describing in the hypothetical if it doesn't I, really exist. Right? It's like super, super <laughs> idealistic. And, right, and the right. argument, yeah, the argument could be made that in the reality of the situation, since all we have is history to prove that we fucked it up more often than we've, you know, come with boots on the ground and made it better, that we haven't figured out that idealistic approach to to helping but not fucking it up. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah. Yes. So where do we go from there? I don't know. It's hard because you don't want to just stand idly by and be like, hey, no more aid to Africa because we, we're not good at it. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, well, let's how do we how do we get the aid to the right people in the right way that isn't like, you know, just airdropping stuff and hoping that like it helps them till the next yeah, time we but, do an airdrop. I, and, and I don't think anybody I, I don't think that Chelsea is saying that we don't do the aid, uh, but that we do it the right way. And going back to what Scott said, what's the best way to do it? And that, that the best way isn't to go in with a morally absolute attitude. But, uh, you know, earlier uh, Chelsea talked about having empathy towards their worldview, validating their worldview. I, I called it trust, gaining their trust, and then moving towards education. So, I mean, I think, we've, I think we've discussed that. This is the yeah. commitment pattern, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. It's building a relationship to trust. It absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is it, like is the manipulation maybe the most, pattern. Right. Yeah, this is like the most extreme example that I can think of that kind of ties these things together, and yet it's it's also kind of a again just a a, a supersized version of of conversations that we have all the time with people. I mean, you talk to to friends or family members that don't believe in global warming or that don't believe in evolution, you know, and it feels it feels like almost kind of the same thing on a very very small huh. and and less significant level. Interesting. To me. Uh, flesh that out a little bit more. So, well, I, so. Ju- I just mean like, like at what point do you like when somebody says like, well, obviously we didn't evolve from from me- from monkeys or 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 you know, well, well, you know, the it's really cold this winter, so obviously global warming's not true. <laughs> like, right. at, at what at what point do you just kind of 
you know, step on people and say like, no, you're, you're wrong. Like you're, uh, you, you do I, have I'm, to pick your battles and you yeah. do have to go back to that humanistic definition. I think, I think if people don't believe in evolution, eh, the, the, the effect of that is probably not the same as if they don't believe in global warming, which actually is going to kill us all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, to me, yeah, to me, if they don't believe in evolution, they probably believe in a young earth, which has, I think, all kinds of other so, so problems, then, environmental Scott, and otherwise. But. You, you've been on record as to say that you just won't even engage people like that in a conversation anymore. So don't you feel a, a moral obligation to correct their... I, I do, but based on my history... See, this is where Chelsea and I are lining up, because based on my history, if I you've go in... You've been terribly and, ineffective. It doesn't work. Yeah, I've been work. terribly yeah. ineffective in doing it. I go in with a bulldozer and just say, okay, well, let me show you a ninth grade science book, and maybe we can talk about it. <laughs> so, so, so don't yeah. talk about global warming. Yeah. Talk about yeah. critical thinking. Again, this is, this is where, you know, I'm, I'm sort of this lurker on, on Facebook that hasn't told all my TBM friends about my apostasy, and I actually find, uh, you know, that posting these things about, about the anti-vaxxers and posting these things about global warming right. and whatever, just, just sort of getting this vibe out there. I actually find some of my TBM friends agreeing and liking these things. And I go, yes, okay, that's a person. This may be an incremental change, but I'm getting this person to think about something critically. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny how, you know, you need to interject your message through a safe channel. Like, uh, like if we could somehow get Bill Cosby to you know, <laughs> give a, a, a helpful message and people would listen to it because he's kind of a uniter of, you know, there's certain, I'm just making up a random example of a comedian, but everybody like has a preconceived notion of the, of the delivery channel of, inf- you know, from which they get information. And based on that preconceived notion, they start with a, a borderline conclusion. And even we do it with, with our own worldviews and stuff. So it's yeah. always like, how do you, how do you be that wolf in sheep's clothing, which is a horrible way of framing it, but it's kind of, Kind of what I described. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of how the world so, works. So if we could get Donnie and Marie to sing a song about the book of Abraham Papyri, that would be just like perfect. Well, well we can't do that, but we can get Steve Young to, to embrace gay marriage. Yeah, yeah that's right? true. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or yeah. In, to the church's credit, I mean, now there's there's talks of how they're they're going to redo one of their uh, uh, the museums, museums yeah, or the church centers. Yeah, museum in Salt Lake. Yeah. They're renovating yeah, they're, it. Yeah. They're going to tackle the multiple versions of the first vision. And I can tell you right now that like way more people are going to have to deal with that than they would have if I'm the one telling them about it, because you oh, know, yeah. I'm, I'm coming as a loaded perspective that they're not going to trust. So yeah, it's just, how do you, we're just impatient because when you already have arrived at the, at an effective conclusion, it's really hard to wait around for everybody else to like get to it in their own super slow way. And that's what we're not good at in terms of humanity interfacing one with another, I guess. I don't know. But it's possible. We did it. We left Mormonism. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it took me several years, but yeah, I mean, it's... And and it happened by these incremental changes. Again, I'm I'm not a complete idealist. I recognize just like it, just like scientific clinical trials, these things happen by very incremental small changes. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. And one thing to consider um, is that, you know, culture is not something that's unchanging. Tradition has never been the same for throughout time. So anytime someone refers to like traditional marriage, I just like roll my eyes. Or when some, <laughs> someone refers to like a traditional culture, I'm like, which one are you talking about? Like, these things are also constantly changing. Um, when I gave this discussion about evolution and religion in, uh, in, um, 
Arizona, this guy got up and really called me out and he's like, well, you can't be a cultural relativist because you support ordained women. And that is a liberal Western kind of view of equality and you're fighting a traditional culture like Mormonism. And, you know, people agreed with him. And I just kind of my my rebuttal was, I'm sorry, but the Mormonism that was a traditional cultural socialist, um, you know, polyamorous culture has radically shifted in our lifetime. It is more corporate and hierarchical and Western and liberal than most religions on the planet. So the culture I'm critiquing has evolved just the same way as my Western biased thinking, right? So as an insider, I feel, and whether that's right or wrong, we can debate. I feel able to critique it as a system because it in itself, we can see that it has changed over time and has been affected by people. Yeah, well, I just wanted to add, I don't think anybody did uh, agree with what he was saying to you. I think he was pretty <laughs> alone in that group. But but no, so that brings up a really interesting point. And maybe, I, I don't know if you guys have other things that you want to touch on, but maybe we could wrap up here. But um, so that's a that's a good point about how you view yourself within that group and, and kind of how that informs what you think your, your obligations or your, you know, what level of critique that you can share with the rest of that group. Um, you know, so maybe if you view yourself more as a citizen of the world and you kind of look more in the humanist sense, like what Matt's talking about, maybe that kind of, you feel like you have a broader um, permission to, to kind of impose those sorts of things or make those kinds of changes. And maybe if you have a, a more narrow view or more respectful view of, uh, of, you know, the differences between those different groups then maybe that's what makes the difference. I don't know. Does that make yeah. any sense? Kind of. I <laughs> like. Like I, I'm trying to. I'm. I'm like wondering why are we like with with people that agree on so many things. Like why do we? Why do we disagree on on some of these aspects? And to me, I think maybe it's how you view yourself. Like what Chelsea was saying, she views herself as a Mormon as, Hey, this is part of my experience. And so I can do with it what I want. I can help change that, but she doesn't feel very comfortable going in and and changing another group that she's maybe not a part of. Mm. And and I would probably say that it's, it's not that it's not that we shouldn't, but maybe it's not very effective. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So maybe you don't want to do that because it would be less effective, not necessarily that you're not allowed to, or that it would be bad. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I wish it worked. I wish I could somehow channel my inner Mormon because I feel still very Mormon having dedicated 25 plus years in, in my most active years and e- even thinking about it consciously nearly every day, you know, now 35 years or whatever. Um, I feel like there's a lot of good I could do if I could figure out a way to channel that within my own little group. But there's this this crossover point that we all now I'm feeling like I'm going, I'm like zooming way in from this way zoomed out conversation we had, but there's this like, there's this thing where once I cross a certain line, then it's like, nah, it's over for you. You may as well go help Africa. That's how effective you are going to be to your own people now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm curious to hear more about this good that like what, what good and what group of people are you talking about? Like your family or no wider than that? Like, I mean, this, this, this is like, I know that we try not to do this because it's not fair to talk about people openly when they're not in, when they're not part of the conversation, but like doing that. 
Uh, that's true, Glenn. That, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but take Kate Kelly, for example. So there's, there's kind of um, a different approach between Kate Kelly and John DeLynn in the sense that John DeLynn sort of reached too far onto the outside and then he sort of had to like backpedal, backtrack, and now he's trying to be more like, oh, forget about that part where I, I became more of an ex. Now I'm kind of in the middle because I, I want more influence and I, and I think I can Im- impact things in a better way. Kate Kelly never went through that. So she just got excommunicated. And of course, on the inside, that's a red flag. But she's always sincerely held to being a Mormon in a way that I, I'm not comfortable doing anymore. But I wonder if I should have, because, you know, my little story has nothing to do with anyone and nobody cares, but me and my family. But like Kate Kelly made a lot of noise and was super effective in a way that she wouldn't have been if she just like, left Mormonism before protesting outside of the conference center or whatever, then nobody would care. But she did it the way that made it so people care. And I'm sort of wondering, is there a way that I could have done that too? And, and makes me think. What, what would your issues be that you're uh, standing up for? Well, I still have some angst with, with um, uh, the way Mormons... Like a big pet peeve of mine is is the complete waste of resources in terms of cyclical things that you do in the temple that otherwise there are, there are tons of cyclical things you could do in real life that would generate electricity for lack of a better example um, you know or or just better outputs for humanity at large rather than doing a bunch of um, so like running on a big hamster wheel instead of doing two hours <laughs> that's all the temple is right. is a fucking big hamster yeah. wheel okay. let's be honest catching up so, on sleep yeah yeah may as well like you know power a building instead of requiring power to run on your hamster wheel which I is for dead people if i can channel if i can channel my inner anthropologist some people might say there's some value in the ritual ah oh Absolutely. Social efficacy and capital. All right, I give up. See, see, that's where I'm like, (sighs) (laughs) okay, never mind. Don't listen to me. (laughs) Good job, Scott. (laughs) I'm trying to learn from Glenn the the whisperer. The the whisperer thing. (laughs) TBM whisperer. Did we cover everything from the whole, like, you know, finish him, Mad versus Chelsea <laughs> face-off thing that we were trying to go for? I think so. Okay. Just wanted I think to double-check. This, this gr- I think this was great. So, I think so, I th- too. I think we just need Matt to ask for the closing prayer. Uh, you know what? Actually, he's uh, done it. Uh, several times. You know, you, several of I, our I was, episodes I was is thinking, Matt asking uh, for the closing prayer. More like, well, that's uh, true. What we're going to do on the next mini-sode. Yeah. What is it? What are you going to do? Are you ready for this? Okay. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Dr. Matt. Now, there are a lot of people out there that believe that witchcraft is immoral, or at least not real, but that's not true at all. Let me explain. The thing is, witchcraft is totally an awesome way to view the world, as long as you are raised in a place that has no idea how science works. It's your culture, and culture is more important than what anyone has to say about truth. Now, some people might say, but beating people and cutting out their bowels or hacking off albino arms is wrong, and is totally going to buy you a ticket to the Telestial Kingdom instead of super VIP heaven. But what those people don't understand is that there's no such thing as absolute moral truth. And maybe these time-honored practices help some people. So they're okay, despite the obvious harm it causes people and the totally scientifically indefensible claims of efficacy or the lives it may ruin. So you see, witchcraft is totally real. <laughs> that's like Brother Jay. It's that's t- awesome. Yeah, yeah you that's what that. he's doing. He's yeah. perfect imitation of Brother Jay. Oh, my Jay. God. I'm yeah. super awesome. offended. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're all laughing. Even. That's really funny. It's funny how we. You know what I could do? Yeah, we figured it all out. I I I, I could take. I'm like, oh, yeah, we really communicated, and then he says that, and I'm like, shit, we did not communicate at all. Come on, he wrote that ahead of time. He wrote that ahead of time. Hi, this is Matthew Vernon, recording from Whitingham, Vermont, the birthplace of Brigham Young, a man of superb equipment. Seriously, just Google his birthplace marker and you can see for yourself. Or you can comment on this episode on the website infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? There were never any good old days. They are today. They are tomorrow. It's a stupid thing we say. Cursing tomorrow is sorrow. Down! Oh, Chelsea, it, to make you, uh, not just to make you feel better, but I hope this will make you feel better. Um, I, I feel, I feel better about what you said tonight. I felt like I, like you influenced me tonight. So. Awesome. I think I, I, think I get you. I think I get it. So are you going to put a, a, a picture of Chelsea on a button and wear it around? I will. Right. Yeah, sure. You know what I would prefer rather than all of that? I want each one of you. It, it, I'm going to use the commitment pa- pattern. <laughs> Do it. Will Do each it. one of you oh, wow. put an ordained women profile up? I already did. Yay. I haven't, but I'll do it now. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll do it, Chelsea. Yeah. Let's do it. That's awesome. Sure. Okay. I'll make a fake one for Glenn. Yeah. Y'all sure. are pretty easy. Oh, <laughs> you have no idea. No idea. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.